0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Can't Make This Up, a history podcast where we interview the experts about some of history's most interesting people and events. I'm your host, Kevin. Thank you for joining me again. I'd like to kick off with a couple of cool announcements. Uh, Number one, thank you guys so much for your continued support. Uh, The podcast Twitter account, uh, at CMTU History, uh, has broken 1,000 followers Uh, this week. Thank you guys so much. It's up to like, what, 1,004 now. So thank you guys so much for your continued support. That really means a lot. Of course, the podcast is also on Facebook and Twitter at CMTU History. And with that, I'd like to announce something new. Uh, The show is now on TikTok. Uh, Yes, you heard that right. The podcast is on TikTok. Why? Because everybody seems to be on TikTok. So if you want to stay up to date with the latest happenings on the show, uh, or if you want to watch the dumpster fire, which is a 35 year old attempting to figure out how to use TikTok to promote his podcast, uh, head on over to TikTok and look up at CMTU history. Well, the subject of today's podcast didn't need TikTok. He was a master orator all on his own. That's right, we're talking about the great President Abraham Lincoln. In national polling among presidential historians, as well as among the general public, uh, Abraham Lincoln consistently ranks in the top two greatest presidents in American history. As his leadership preserved the Union in its most pressing hour, This praise is very much well-deserved. But how did Lincoln become such a good leader? Was he simply born that way, or was this something he learned? My guest today is Michael Gerhardt. He is the Samuel Ash Distinguished Professor of Constitutional Law at the University of North Carolina School of Law. As one of the nation's most respected authorities on the Constitution, Michael has been called upon to testify before both chambers of Congress to offer his expertise on constitutional issues, including the impeachment proceedings for Presidents Bill Clinton and Donald Trump, as well as during the nomination hearings for several Supreme Court justices. He is the author of the brand new book, Lincoln's Mentors, The Education of a Leader, in which he argues that it was Lincoln's dispassionate ability to learn from other people in his life that built him into the great president that history remembers him today. In this episode, Michael and I walk through five prominent figures from Abraham Lincoln's life, ranging from political figures to personal friends whom Lincoln seemed to learn a great deal from and allowed them to influence his own leadership style. Without further ado, Michael Gerhardt.
1: The You Can't Make This Up History Podcast Bringing you strange but true things from the past It's not the average history that you learned in school We're bringing you the heroes
0: Michael Gerhardt, hello, welcome to Can't Make This Up. Thanks for having me, I appreciate it. Very glad to have you. Um, so if you could tell us a little bit uh, about yourself and your background. I am a constitutional law professor at
1: the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Um, I specialize in constitutional history and conflicts between presidents and Congress over constitutional issues. But I'm also a student of constitutional history um, and you know, grew up in the Deep South. Uh, but I, I grew up as somebody who actually admired Abraham Lincoln, um, which was not that common uh, where I grew up in, in, in the state of Alabama. Um, but uh, this project has been a lot of fun because it's allowed me to spend more time with somebody I, I respect a lot and get to learn more
0: from. Okay, and the, the book's title is uh, Lincoln's Mentors, the Education of a Leader, and, um, you know, when they do these national polls of the general public or historians, uh, you know, please rank the presidents, you know, usually Lincoln is number one or number two, flip-flops with George Washington. Um, so, you know, definitely a good president to take a look at when it comes to leadership. Uh, But what prompted you to do this search into who made Lincoln who he was?
1: Well, somebody who is, I guess, admittedly a fan of Lincoln and respects a lot of what he did and probably would have ranked him one or two in the list of greatest presidents. Um, I always had a question that bugged me uh, the more I read by Lincoln and the more I read about Lincoln. And that is the basic question of how Lincoln became Lincoln. Uh, it's oftentimes a thought that he just was a political genius, and that explains Lincoln. Um, at other times, it's said that maybe you know, Lincoln learned from everybody, um, which is probably true, but doesn't really give us a, a sense of how he learned. And so after uh, having to wrestle with those questions, I thought I would go back and try and take a look and figure out if there were people uh, who Lincoln uh, went back to time and again to help him learn how to be president. I would like to find them. Um, and, uh, and when I did look back uh, without presuming what I'd find, I found five different people who appear and reappear throughout Lincoln's political life. And I count them as his mentors.
0: OK, so a lot of emphasis has been put on Lincoln's self-education. Um, And, you know, while that is important, um, you know, you kind of contend that that's an incomplete look at how Lincoln became Lincoln. Um, Why why do you say that?
1: Yes, I I mean, I think that um, uh, Lincoln definitely was somebody who was self-educated. Let's not dispute that. There's no question about that. Um, And uh, one has to, I think, acknowledge as well, though, that if he is self-educated, how did he do it? Uh, did he just read a book? Um, how, what was the process through which he was educated? Um, at the same time, what did he want to be educated about? And so I thought I would take a deeper look into, okay, um, Lincoln may be educating himself, but, for example, was there a time or period or years when Lincoln was trying to educate himself about being a leader, about uh, and particularly about becoming a successful political leader, And I think the answer to that, at least least in my judgment, based on my research, is yes, he did. He didn't just uh, find it in a book. He also found it through interacting with people who had interacted with the other people he was trying to follow, people like Andrew Jackson, people like Henry Clay. He He was influenced through those interactions, and those interactions would help form his understanding of how to be a president and what he would do as president.
0: I really like books like this because we we have placed figures like this on so much of a pedestal. They're just, they're solitary in marble. You know, Lincoln sits by himself in that monument. And, you know, books like this bring to life that he's a real person getting through life and learning the same way that any of us would.
1: Yes, I think that's exactly right. In fact, I say in the introduction something to the effect that Lincoln in real life, wasn't just the person you see in the Lincoln Memorial uh, sitting above uh, everyone else and being, and, and, and being alone. That's not how he learned to lead. He actually, his, his genius um, in part is he realized what it was he had to learn. And then he would go out and try and learn it. And that's um, another reason to admire Lincoln, as you say. He, of course, is a man. That makes all his achievements even more amazing, if you will? Um, how did this man who had no formal education, had served only two years in the House of, Cong- House of Representatives and never really in an executive office, how did this man become one of the two greatest presidents in American history? And um, I think part of the answer is, he figured out what skills do I need? And then he figured out how to require and to refine those
0: skills. So let's dive into it a, a little bit. The, the the first one you identify is Andrew Jackson, and and how did Lincoln, you know, become a spectator in politics at a, at a young age, and, and why did he settle on Adr, uh, Andrew Jackson as the person to look at?
1: Well, that's that that is probably one of the more controversial questions that this book kind of raises. Uh, people normally would not think of Lincoln as being able to learn anything from Andrew Jackson. Uh, most sure. of the time, when we read about Lincoln's life you think Lincoln hated Jackson and Lincoln actually supported Jackson's greatest foe, Henry Clay. So how is it possible that Lincoln would find anything to emulate or to avoid in Jackson's example? And it begins early on. Uh, He was raised in a home um, and his father was a Jacksonian Democrat. And he was around Jacksonian Democrats more than any other kind of political people when he was growing up and yet by the time he ends up in Illinois he's been he's learned by interacting with other people that he really prefers the politics of Henry Clay and in the very first election that Lincoln's able to vote in the very first uh, presidential election he votes for Clay not Jackson nevertheless within a year Jackson appoints or a year or two Jackson appoints Lincoln to his first political office a federal postmaster. So we, you can't lose sight of that fact that Lincoln actually had benefited initially from Jackson. And I think Jackson was one of those figures that um, loomed really large over Lincoln's entire political life. Um, he was the only president to have been reelected from the time Lincoln was born um, in his youth. And then later Lincoln himself got reelected, but there, uh, and so there's a long time span after Jackson when nobody else is reelected. Lincoln understood that. He understood that from the people around him. And when Lincoln is uh, elected president, the first document he asked for is Jackson's proclamation against secession in 1831. And that document provides part of a template for his first inaugural. And time and again when he's president, Lincoln will go back to Jackson, find things he, he wants to follow, even says he's following them. The only presidential portrait in his office is a portrait of Andrew Jackson. And Lincoln uses that to remind people that he he includes among his supporters Jacksonian Democrats. And that helps him politically and it provides a model for him to stand really firmly as Jackson would against secession.
0: Uh, and I, I think that's a really um, mature skill that he adopts early on. Is you know, I might ideologically disagree with Jackson. But I can you know, objectively look at what he does well and what he doesn't do well and take those things for myself.
1: Yes, I think that's a really important point. Uh, many people, maybe even most people, um, are probably not inclined to learn anything, let's say, positive um, from people they don't like. Uh, and, and there's a tendency to generalize. Oh, he, he's a terrible president. There's nothing to learn from him or he was a great president. There's everything learned from him. But Lincoln, I don't think, thought in those terms. Lincoln figured out early in his life he could learn from everybody he interacted with and everybody he read about. He could find things to emulate and he could find examples to avoid. And you see him do this repeatedly throughout his political life.
0: Now, you mentioned that Uh, he chooses to identify more with Henry Clay um, and he joins the Whig party, uh, you know, as opposed to those Jacksonian Democrats. Why does he identify that way?
1: Well, um, we have some ideas of the answer. I don't know that we ever can really get into Lincoln's mind so deeply that we could figure out, okay, this is precisely why, but I think there were things about Clay that Lincoln could not help but admire. Um, for example, remember Clay is from Kentucky. So is Lincoln. So if Lincoln's looking around uh, for who's the, who's the greatest leader from my state, um, the state I'm from, the answer, one answer would be Henry Clay. Clay was also, unlike Jackson, reputed to be a great orator. And Lincoln is learning about oratory from a young age. So if he's looking to find somebody who's a great model, uh, an exemplar of great oratory, he's not gonna find anybody better than Henry Clay. And, but third, substantively, Henry Clay took positions that, Lincoln, uh, that really resonated with Lincoln. Um, it was Clay's politics, I think, that really ultimately charmed uh, Lincoln lincoln was not persuaded by the jacksonian view that the world is dog eat dog um, and you know the the fittest survive Um, lincoln had grown up in the woods i mean in cabin and he understood what that world was like on the frontier Um, but lincoln i think figured uh, lincoln liked more i think the clay view which is government is here to help you the government can do things to help people get educated and that was hugely important for lincoln that's one of the first campaign promises he ever made was to support public education. Uh, And he did that throughout his entire life. And Clay believed that government could also put together what are called internal improvements, ways to connect the country um, uh, through roads, bridges, tunnels. And Lincoln- The American system. Yes, the American system. And Lincoln liked that idea, okay, rather than being all these states who are fighting each other, maybe Jackson's point of view, Lincoln liked the idea of bringing the nation together and tightening it. So he was thinking that way long before he became president.
0: Now, he doesn't just do this looking at, you know, big national figures. He also looks at this close to home. Um, you know, what can you tell us about the cousin of his future wife and, and how he shaped uh, Lincoln's Lincoln's future?
1: Yeah, so Lincoln is interacting of course with lots of townspeople when he first moves to Illinois and he's interacting with lawyers too. Uh, And among the first lawyers that he meets is this cousin of Mary Todd Lincoln's, his cousin uh, John Todd Stewart. And they immediately sort of strike up a friendship. They serve together during the Black Hawk War. Uh, That's yet another way that Lincoln and Stewart interact. And Stewart is one of the first people to encourage Lincoln to become a lawyer. And when Lincoln does become a lawyer, Stewart is the first partner that Lincoln has uh, when he's setting out to practice law. Beyond that, John Todd Stewart was also interested in politics. And so Lincoln, because he was the partner of John Todd Stewart, ended up working in Stewart's first campaigns. One of them was against Stephen Douglas. And so Lincoln is there sometimes substituting for Stewart, meaning he's debating Douglas that early on, um, but later he's also watching and learning from the debates uh, that Stewart has against Douglas, something that's obviously gonna shape his understanding of how to debate Douglas later. And Stewart is also in the state legislature. Stewart's a Whig. This is the political party of Henry Clay and uh, Lincoln is happy to become a Whig. Stewart grooms him to become a Whig leader and then in the legislature, Stuart teaches him a very valuable skill that legislators need, and that is the ability to make deals, the ability to compromise, to get things done by finding common ground and also uh, cutting deals with the other side. And Lincoln's going to do this for the rest of his life. That, that m- mode of uh, making legislation is something Lincoln's going to use in every part of his life, negotiating contracts and later as president.
0: So he really finds a role model.
1: He, he's a role model to some extent. Yeah, I, I think. Now, Lincoln acknowledged and other people at the time acknowledged Stewart was really great in front of juries, but he was kind of lazy. Um, and Lincoln and all he really did to help train Lincoln as lawyers was give him some books. Now, to his credit, Lincoln apparently reads these books, though some people later will say it's not clear how much he read these books. Um, and. So Lincoln can admire how Stewart is in front of juries. By the way, Lincoln's also with Stewart when he's out on the hustings in Illinois talking to crowds. So Lincoln's learning that experience early on, learning about debates from Stewart. Um, And Stewart, I think uh, therefore becomes a a teacher but not necessarily somebody whom Lincoln is always going to follow. He's gonna learn from, yes, it's good to learn how to uh, trade favors to make legislation, make political deals. Um, it's not good to be lazy. Um, it's it's uh, uh, good to be able to talk to the common people like Stewart. Those are the kinds of things he'll pick up.
0: So you know, Lincoln transitions into a political career as well in the Illinois state legislature. He moves on then to to U.S. Congress. And now, why, as as a freshman congressman? does he see fit to transition from learning from Henry Clay to looking at Zachary Taylor?
1: Well, he ends up looking to Zachary Taylor for a couple different reasons. Um, Now, just kind of position this in terms of history. Uh, This is the late 1840s. um, And when Lincoln arrives in, in the House of Representatives, it coincides with the next presidential election. So that's critical timing. Um, Lincoln came in as a Whig and Lincoln cares very much at that point who's gonna become the next Whig candidate for president. At that point, Henry Clay had lost three different times uh, in his race for the presidency. Lincoln admired Clay, but he was, uh, if you will, cold-blooded, dispassionate about, uh, or pragmatic about, uh, which people he would support, which people he'd follow. Uh, he wouldn't hesitate to cut loose or not follow somebody who thought that person was not in a good path. So Lincoln was prepared to look beyond Clay and he finds yet another person from Kentucky, Zachary Taylor. So the two most prominent politicians during Lincoln's lifetime in Kentucky before Lincoln were Zachary Taylor and Henry Clay. Uh, Henry, Taylor is the winning general in the Mexican War. Uh, Because of that popularity, he secures the Whig nomination. And and Lincoln's one of the first people to support that nomination. Uh, And he gets to know Taylor through the general, both the uh, primary and particularly through the general election. And Lincoln's there for Taylor's inauguration. He admires Taylor's down-to-earth qualities. Taylor's completely unpretentious. That's something that really resonates with Lincoln. Lincoln can really uh, identify with that. Clay was more elitist, a little more pretentious. Taylor was anything but, and I think Lincoln liked that. Uh, Taylor talked very plainly and clearly, um, at least as a general, maybe not always as a politician, but Lincoln liked that as well. In other words, speaking to people, speaking to the common people was something Taylor was uh, relatively adept at. And Taylor was very good at improvising and entering into difficult situations and figuring a way out. And that's exactly what Lincoln's gonna wanna master.
0: So Lincoln sees fit to not... He seems ahead of the curve in that he's not going to have a unshakable loyalty to someone like Henry Clay. Uh, If he sees that, you know, the party is gonna move on without Clay, he's willing to make that step.
1: Yes, and in fact, that's true for every one of the mentors. Um, he, um, He picks and chooses. He's very selective about what he's going to follow and what he might and what he's not going to follow. Um, and he's that pragmatic throughout his entire life. The same happens with John Stewart. They cease to be partners. They uh, differ politically. Lincoln can still, still talk to him. And they have a, a, a friendship, maybe not as strong as it once was. Um, but Lincoln knows, OK, I don't go to Taylor for this. Um, he's not going to be helpful to me for that. Um, and the same then for Taylor, he, he, he will see Taylor's attributes, but he will also see Taylor's weaknesses and he's going to learn from those weaknesses and he makes a vow not to follow those when he becomes president.
0: Now you do dedicate a chapter to failure in Lincoln. What does Lincoln start to learn about failure in the 1850s? His, his own political um, ambitions seem to be dashed. Uh, the Whig Party seems to be on its last leg, and, and even the Union itself looks like it's on the cusp of failure. What, what is Lincoln learning in the 1850s?
1: Well, I, of course, I think he's learning a lot. Um, the, the conventional story about Lincoln, um, which has a, a, some kernels of truth, is that when he leaves Congress, he's basically lost in the woods. And he has to turn inward, and somehow he finds within him the means by which he becomes a presidential candidate and ultimately president. Um, I think that's largely untrue. Um, Lincoln doesn't just uh, turn inward. Um, He was always self-interested and always pragmatic. But what he does is he is reading newspapers voraciously, trying to keep track of what's happening politically. He's trying to understand the currents, the ebbs and flows of the political era in which he lives. He's also, I think, beginning to realize um, that uh, the times are changing. Uh, that's a very big part of Lincoln. And Stephen Douglas later, when he's asked about Lincoln, um, he, uh, Douglas is asked, "Do was he? Is he a weak man?" And Douglas says, "No, he's he is somebody who's uh, um, who, uh, who was among the atmospherics of his time." And I think that's a very insightful point that Douglas makes. I think you can translate it as saying, Lincoln really would try to understand the times when he lived, and that would enable him to figure out what's possible and what's not possible. And so in the 1850s, as they lead into the later 1850s, um, Lincoln's realizing he can't be, a he can't just um, be somebody who doesn't take a position on the biggest issues of the day. And the biggest issue of the day was slavery. And Lincoln's position, was always Clay's position. And that is opposing the extension of slavery. That's even Lincoln's position late into the 1850s and when he's elected president. But what he's learning at that time is that he's gotta be, um, if he intends to be a Whig and ultimately a Republican, he's gotta take a position strongly against slavery. That's where that, the party was founded on that basis. And so Lincoln comes to that eventually. There's the Cooper Union speech in the late 1850s. His inaugural, uh, his, his speech when he's, in our, when he's nominated for the US Senate in Illinois. Uh, all these give clues and show that Lincoln is moving. He's still in the center, but from the center, he's moving to align himself with the forces uh, against slavery. And of course, that they'll be behind him when he becomes president of the United States.
0: Now, in your view, are those simply pragmatic uh, decisions, in that he sees which way the wind is blowing, or is that somewhat a, a moral and ideological uh, decision on his part?
1: I think they're both. I, I, I think um, it's my, it's a guess. That, you know, no one can be real confident again in sure. mm-hmm. psychology, but I, I think he's always pragmatic, but there are certain principles that he will announce and he will follow. And so there is a moral compass there. And, and we saw see that early on in his life when it leads him to Henry Clay. And Henry Clay was again, somebody who steadfastly opposed the extension of slavery, but not its abolition. That's essentially Lincoln's position before the presidency and into the first year or two of his presidency. Um, but Lincoln is also understanding um, when he tries to understand the times in which he's president, in which he lives, uh, that certain other possibilities are there. And one of them has to do with uh, getting rid of slavery. And so, and Lincoln has, has not been a proponent of slavery. He is a man who uses the N-word uh, at the, up until that, the time he's elected president. Um, there are things there not to admire in Lincoln from our, our, our perspective now. Uh, but one, what, what one can also see, however, is that he's moving. He's not just static. He's moving um, to embrace that principle more and more. So it, in a sense, it's a pragmatic recognition of how things are going, but a willingness to go there. Go there. Not everybody could, but he goes there.
0: Yeah, he'll, he allows himself to be open to possibly changing his perspective.
1: Yes, and that's, that's a quality of a great leader. Uh, it's a quality of, um, of, of Lincoln's. Um, this is the, extra, again, part of what makes him extraordinary. Uh, not everybody will be open-minded. Some people, many people, even Clay to some extent, will be stubborn. Stubborn to the point of not being willing to be uh, open to learn new things. Um, I described that in the book as being a willingness to be educable and I think that this is one of Lincoln's great qualities, uh, that he is willing to learn from others. In that sense, it's a great act of humility. Uh, But it's also, I think, something that fed his self-confidence because he knew he could learn things on his own and then he could sort of move forward from there. But Lincoln, I think, is is very much uh, learning not just from the people around him, he's learning from his enemies as much as he's learning from his friends, he will see things in Jefferson Davis. He'll see things in Stephen Douglas. He'll see things in Jackson that may not be bad for him to keep in mind that he could use for good, let's say, as a
0: leader. So the last person you identify, uh, you know, I'll admit is somebody I had never heard of before reading your book. Uh, It's a man named Orville Browning. Uh, How does he provide Lincoln mentorship and how does he provide him new political opportunities?
1: Well, Orville Browning would be heartbroken to know that he's not remembered, (laughs) Um, uh, which is a shame, he he has a place in history. Um, So Orville Browning was another Illinois lawyer. Lincoln got to meet um, in what's called writing the circuit. And, um, but Lincoln also got to meet Browning because he was in the state legislature too and he was a Whig in the state legislature. So he's running across this person more than once and they become friends. Um, Browning's just a little bit older, um, but Browning, because he's a little bit older, is able to kind of show Lincoln the ropes on certain things within the legislature. Um, And he's also there to kind of help Lincoln find a wife. Um, Ultimately, the wife that Lincoln finds is not somebody that either Stewart or Browning like. So Lincoln didn't always listen to them. Um, but but Browning was somebody who also admired Clay and Browning before Lincoln uh, was uh, joining the effort to found a new political party, the Republican party. Browning helped write the platform uh, that Lincoln later would um, embrace, but Browning's there before him um, and Lincoln will, um, in a sense, be persuaded. He's one of the last leading people to kind of join the Republican Party uh, because I think he wants to make sure it gets off the ground and then it really does align with his views or his views align with it. Um, And then later when Lincoln's running for the presidency, um, he's also um, uh, relying on Browning yet again. So Browning, I I think Lincoln trusted Browning because Browning was not shy about saying what he thought. I think Lincoln admired that. And if Browning disagreed with Lincoln, Browning would say so. Lincoln admired that. So Lincoln, so, so Browning is one of the two people that Lincoln really shares the inaugural address draft to. And he makes a change that's very important um, for Lincoln. Uh, Lincoln's secretary say it's the most significant change that's made. And it has to do with just re- refining some language in the inaugural address to eliminate any suggestion that the, the US government's gonna be aggressive in protecting its property. Um, so Lincoln kind of makes that, uh, just makes it uh, sound, um, really largely eliminates it, but he just makes it seem less uh, less of a problem, less of a threat to the South. And that's pivotal because Lincoln's position at the time is he doesn't wanna be a threat to the South. Um, and when Lincoln's running for office, he, he also asks Browning for his support. Browning says, I support somebody else, Edward Bates. But Lincoln astutely says, "Well if Bates falls, will you support me?" Browning says yes. Once Bates falls, Lincoln turns right away to Browning and says, "Will you help me with the Browning will it help, help me with the Bates people?" And Browning says yes, and he does. So Lincoln is astute enough to know that Browning can be trusted. And then last but not least, when St- Stephen Douglas dies, Lincoln arranges with the Illinois governor to place Browning in that Senate seat Browning comes to Washington, and he spends more time with Lincoln than any other senator. And they're not just uh, talking as friends, but Browning's giving him advice and feedback on what Lincoln's doing.
0: So Lincoln was pretty quick to identify Browning as a, as a very useful uh, ally, an important ally to have. Yes.
1: Yes. yes he, he, and, and this was true for a lot of the Whigs that Lincoln met. Uh, when he was a young lawyer in Illinois. So a lot of those Whigs will later become Republicans and they'll all remain in the kind of Lincoln orbit. But Browning had a had a, a more central place in it uh, than some others. Um, and Lincoln um, could rely on him, if not for anything else, just candid feedback. And I think Lincoln understood he needed that. Again, a really rare quality in the leader. Some leaders just wanna hear how great they are. Lincoln was willing to hear, okay, here's what you're doing wrong, or here's what you could do better. And Lincoln wouldn't always agree, but Lincoln would listen.
0: That I think is an important quality, yeah, that a lot of leaders share. They're open to, to criticism. Yes, yeah.
1: yes. Although there, there are points when Link, later when Lincoln's president, is, as many people know, know the story of Lincoln's life, when he is exasperated that all he really ever hears is the criticism. Um, and, um, and so, you know, he's got an ego uh, and he needs that ego fed sometimes. Um, and Browning was not the guy to do it. Uh, now, Browning could be caring and would be caring as a friend, um, but that's, that's different than somebody who's uh, praising Lincoln um, for all the great things he's done as president. Um, uh, Lincoln needs that reassurance. He will get it ultimately in the 1864 reelection.
0: All right, well, uh, uh, thank you very much for uh, taking the time to uh, talk to us about this. If someone wants to learn more about how Lincoln uses everything that he's been learning over the course of his life uh, from these five individuals, uh, how he uses that to become president and then in his presidency, uh, where can they go to pick up a copy of Lincoln's mentor uh, and learn more
1: It should be of course I'm going hope uh, it'll be sold wherever of course books are sold these days that would include you know online for example with Amazon and Barnes and Noble uh, I think independent booksellers also uh, will carry it um, and so and of course uh, uh, custom house and imprint of HarperCollins, um, uh, has a website. So if one goes to the Harper website, uh, the book can be found there as well.
0: Okay. Uh, well, thank you so much, Michael. It's been a pleasure to talk to you and learn about Lincoln.
1: I really appreciate your taking the time. Thank you.
0: Well, thank you for listening to another episode of Can't Make This Up. I hope you enjoyed Lincoln's Mentors with Michael Gerhardt. As always, if you'd like to learn more about Lincoln's Mentors and learn about how he used these life lessons in his presidency, uh, check out a copy of Lincoln's Mentors. I have provided a link to you uh, in the description of this episode in your podcast app. And then if you'd like to hear more from Michael Gerhart, uh, I asked him a bonus question uh, available on the show's Patreon page. By becoming a supporter of the podcast, uh, you can gain access to several guests' bonus q and I decided to ask Michael what leaders facing crises today uh, can learn from Lincoln and his leadership style through uh, what could be considered America's most trying uh, crisis during the Civil War. Well, this is it for right now. I have several interviews lined up over the next couple of months. It's going to be a busy spring with some great episodes down the road. Uh, I hope you'll uh, subscribe to the podcast in wherever you're listening to this. uh, And I hope to see you back soon. Take care.